0: Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in, and welcome to The Future, a podcast about the business of design. I'm your host, Chris Doe, and I talk about creative entrepreneurship and what it takes to be successful, whether you're running a creative endeavor or anything else. I believe these principles that I talk about are broadly applicable to just about any industry, and it's about creating a successful mindset. Well, who am I in the first place? Why am I doing a podcast? In my day job, I run a studio called Blind and you can check out our work there it's blind.com and we generally describe ourselves as a motion design studio we do live-action production visual effects and animation and we've been doing this for over 21 years. Something else that I've started which is called theschoolrocks.com with my friend and partner Jose Caballer. It's an online education platform so we package the things that we teach into little kits and make videos and you can also find us on YouTube Why start a podcast well this is not a format that i'm used to. i'm usually working with images and visuals and animation but the podcast came from all our users who said i love the content i just want to be able to hear you on my commute so we're going through this process of setting up a studio just to do that because to me if you want to be successful in business you have to give the users what they want this is called user experience design Give them what they want in the fewest number of steps. So we're going to go through some of our back catalog, the episodes that make the most sense in terms of creating it as an audio only thing. But we're also recording new dedicated content that is specifically designed just to be on the podcast. So for very first episode, I was thinking I just got back from doing a little bit of a summer speaking tour. I was everywhere from Bratislava, Slovakia to Richmond, Virginia. But I came back from speaking at the motion conference in Santa Fe. And I thought, you know, why is it that we put ourselves through this? Why would we torture ourselves? Because we're not naturally born to do public speaking. If you ask lots of people, public speaking is one of the greatest fears. It ranks right up there with death. Some people would choose death before public speaking. I had a bunch of mixed emotions coming out of it, as I always do. Uh, For me, going into it, it's always about the fear, the anxiety. Uh, And I think a lot of the ego comes out trying to do something that's valuable to be seen as an expert and to impress my colleagues and peers. You never want to come on stage, have that moment, get caught in the headlights and freeze up and lose your way or ramble on. So there's a lot of that kind of internal pressure. Plus, I'm naturally an introvert. So it takes a lot for me to get up on stage And it was interesting to hear from Greg Gunn, who is an extrovert, self-described, go through the same process. And his concerns and fears were radically different than mine. And that's why I thought, you know what? We're doing a podcast. Let's capture our thoughts and energy about what it was like to go out and to be on stage, to have to memorize your talk and be in front of an audience and speak for 18 minutes straight, which seems like a lot of time. But it actually isn't once you're up there. Alright, before we jump into the conversation, let me take care of some business first. This is the future.com is where you can find the podcast and future episodes. It's spelled just like that, except for future is spelled without an E. It's F-U-T-U-R future. So this is the future.com. Please review and rate this podcast. It's gonna help us rank higher in iTunes. And if you do that, we're gonna do more episodes, okay? Let me know what you guys think. I'm open to constructive criticism. I know I say sometimes controversial, sometimes abrasive things. I don't mean to do that, but I just speak in a very direct way. But let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Doe. And if you message me, I will do my best to comment and give you a personal message back. And I'm also on Snapchat, but admittedly, I don't know how to use Snapchat that well. Some young person, a millennial, is going to have to explain to me how to use Snapchat. But I'm on there as well if you want to find me. Joining me in the studio here is none other than blind creative director Greg Gunn. We just got back from speaking at Motion in Santa Fe. I wanted to just catch up with you, talk a little bit about the whole idea of public speaking. And do we want to do it? Why would we do it? And what what was it like to go through the whole process of writing a talk? and memorizing it and then delivering it. And I know it's painful for me. And since I've done it a couple of times, I wanted to get your experiences and take on that. So let's just start off first by explaining to people who are tuning in who may not know anything about motion. Mm -hmm. It's a conference that has moved around a little bit, but it's really for people in the motion industry, hence the title, Motion Conference. They invite some of the leading uh, practitioners in the motion design industry to come and speak. It's a very intimate affair. I think there can be as many as 150, but not much more than that. And it's a great opportunity for owners and creative directors to meet one another. Normally, we would think of one another as competitors. Enemies. and Frenemies? Frenemies. Frenemies? frenemies. Yeah. Better. Man, you sound really good, I have to say. So this mic. Is, <laughs> your mic must be better than mine because you're coming in with the, the deep bass voice. Getting back to the subject in hand here about public speaking. So I know you've done one Q&A panel before when you were... One of the three legged legs, right?
1: Yeah, long time ago.
0: That was a long, long time ago. So we might as well just consider this your very first time doing public speaking. And you we were both kind of invited independently. Mm-hmm. And so you were brought into this process. So tell me what your prep was like. And I want to be able to draw and maybe cont- compare and contrast our two styles, our approaches, and kind of take it through in a linear timeline fashion. So let's roll the tape back. Let's talk about the first thing. That What's your first challenge? Okay.
1: So let's see. If I think about where I started, um, it was doing a lot of research. So I, I watched a bunch of Ted talks. Uh, I even bought a book, how to give a Ted talk. Oh yeah. Yeah. that uh, r- super dense. Uh, if you really want to know, then, then give it a, give it a read, but it's, it's, it's very, very dense, but I, I started there. I wanted to understand the format. Um, I'm not the smartest guy, but I know who is. So uh, what I wanted to do was study those people and and figure out what they did, what the best way for me to, uh, I I guess, do that same thing. So once I understood the format, um, I realized I needed to come up with with an idea, just this sort of um, concept. Like, what am I talking about? Why am I talking?
0: You weren't given a blank canvas, were you? Because I think the theme this year was about passion.
1: Yeah, that, that that's true. That's true. Um,
0: I, I was asked to talk about the Mythical Mondays project of mine. Okay. And it, and if you guys haven't seen Mythical Mondays, just search on Twitter hashtag Mythical Monday. I think z. Z-, yeah, z. I think so. With an S. Mythical Mondays, yeah. and it's a project that Greg gave himself to animate a myth one per week for an entire year and. You share that process very well at, on stage, but we won't get too deep into that. Right. But I think you and I were talking a little bit about it's kind of boring to just go in and talk about your process because we've been to those process talks before, and they're good when you're first starting out, but not so good when you're talking to professionals or peers and people who have been in the industry for a little while. And so you want to try to elevate the conversation. That's where I think the real challenge and stress comes from, right? Yes, and if you haven't done a talk like this before, one that you're not just telling your life story or shooting off the cuff or sharing process, it is very, very difficult. And people, people underestimate the amount of work that goes into doing a talk like that. So you research a bunch of TED Talks. You bought the book. Presumably you read some of it, if not all of it. Some. So you're getting ready. Okay. Right. And then, then what did you do? Well, once
1: I settled on an idea um, and understanding the format, I outlined everything. From that outline, I wrote a rough draft. I I sent that to Elaine Montoya, who Chris Mm -hmm. mentioned, and she's uh, very good at kind of giving notes. And I'm not a writer, so she's a really good editor. Yeah, and a good writer. She's great at that. So she gave me some notes and ideas for how to smooth out transitions Mm -hmm. and um, overall just kind of make it a a better storytelling experience. So I I took that and uh, I rewrote
0: it. And so you, you, you kind of had to put it in your own words. She gave you a lot of yes. notes. And so here's here's one kind of tip for you guys. If you're writing your decks, it's really about flow. Mm-hmm. You have points that you want to make, but you want to make sure that they're connected and they're building a bigger story. And so that's always the most difficult thing. We can always make like one point. But here's the problem. The way people learn, they don't always learn based on one story. So you're trying to find an example and you find another story and people learn that way. And then you might want to give them some actionable items, call to action, tips, tools, mm-hmm. things like that. Like do these three things at the end of the talk. So they don't walk away feeling like, wow, I'm really inspired, but I don't have anything to do. So as, as you can hear from just me describing that, this process is really difficult. Right. For me, if you start at the end... That's a great way to begin your talk. Think about the one key message that you want to have somebody remember. Because 18 minutes into your talk, there are going to be high points and low points in terms of the emotional graph. But what is it they're going to walk away with? And yours is very clear, and you said it, I think, at least three times Mm -hmm. during the talk. And what was your message? For this one,
1: it was the idea that routine is my secret to creativity. And I know how counterintuitive and weird that sounds, but come listen to me talk, and I'll explain it.
0: Routine. So you kept repeating, routine is the secret to creativity. Yes. Okay, great. So that's the key takeaway message for Greg, and so that's what he worked around. So the rest of it, I think all of us have life experiences and stories to share with the world, but it's the process of editing those stories Mm -hmm. centered around your theme, which is the really important thing. Yes. Okay. So presumably now you have your deck ready, and it's kind of in some form. What's the next step for you? Uh, I, I picture myself on that stage,
1: And I I had no idea how I was going to remember all this and do this. So I started doing more research and I I Googled how to memorize long speeches. And I watched a bunch of videos on that and it got really weird and scientific. So I I scrapped that idea. But I I approached it as in uh, I was just going to memorize the entire thing. So every day on my commute to work and my commute home, which is roughly, let's say, 40 minutes. I live in L.A. I would rehearse over and over and over again, and the talk was about 18 minutes long, so I could get in two rehearsals during e- each commute for about a month straight. I would rehearse at least four times a day. I tried to once during lunch here, but just didn't didn't. Yeah, work.
0: I asked you to practice with me, and yeah. you you started, and you just clammed up.
1: Yeah, that that's how it goes with me. Yeah. So the the commute was was the best place to do it in the privacy of your car. I didn't listen to music or anything else for a month, and I I would just do it there, and that's that's
0: really. All I did. Didn't you feel uh, a little awkward just talking to yourself in the car? I've done that before, and it's really weird. I do a lot more than you might think. So there's
1: nothing <laughs> there's nothing new about that. Right. So I just wanted to memorize it. I, okay. wanted, I wanted no notes. I wanted to just know it.
0: All right. So now let's take it to us both flying in, and we're doing rehearsals the night before, and you're up on stage, and this is the first time you're on the stage, and you're seeing the venue for the first time. Right. And what happened?
1: I completely froze up. So I I, I got there. They call me down, they they put the mic on, and they say, okay, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna stand here, walk out this way, do that. And I started rehearsal. I got about two sentences in, and then just froze. Just ugh. I forgot everything. Yeah. I, I forgot what the next line was. And in my left hand, I reached in my pocket, and I'm like, hold on, hold on, let me, let me see what uh, comes up. I, I can't remember. I promise I won't do this live. And I I just couldn't remember anything. So I kind of bombed it. And Elaine came up to me afterwards and kind of put her arm around me. and was like, hey, (laughs) hey, so you you got this, right? You're going to practice a little, go home and maybe add some notes. And I was worried, not not nervous. I I was just excited. And my biggest fear and problem uh, was that I couldn't remember what to say next. So yeah. that that was that was my
0: worst. Even case though you had already memorized this thing for four weeks prior, and you had rehearsed in your car over and over again in your talk. Yeah. When you're on stage and the lights weren't even full up at that point. That's right. Just taking an environment, and I just want to point out to people that are listening right now, Greg and I are very different. You're an extrovert, self-described, and I'm an introvert, self-described, right? And that just means if you do the Myers Briggs thing, if you're an extrovert, when you're around people, you you generate more energy. So if you're at a party at the end of the night, you can't go to sleep because you're wired. Yes. And an introvert is the exact opposite. Being around a lot of people drains you and you're tired by the end of the night. So this is quite interesting and we're very different in this way. Okay. So you went to do rehearsals and you totally bombed. Elaine, rightfully concerned, puts her arm around you and hopes for the best and gives you some <laughs> yeah. reassurance and, and politely nudges you like you need to practice more. Yes, okay. that's exactly right. All right. You guys have to remember, we're behind the camera people here. And most of the times we're staring at a computer and, and the safety of our own and very constructed environment. So public right. speaking, just for normal people, forget about designers and artists and creative types, is one of the greatest fears in life. So it's not a surprise, even though you're a very gregarious social guy, that this would give you some anxiety and give you some nerves. Right. My approach to doing the public speaking thing is this. I'm very comfortable speaking in very specific situations. If I'm working with my students in small groups of 20, and I know that they're just there to talk to me. and And the reason why I say that is because I know exactly what they want to talk about. And so it's very directed. With a group of 150 people or anything more than that, there's going to be a diverse set of interests and agendas, and you're just trying your best to connect with people. So you're always walking away a little unsure if what you're saying is going to resonate with anybody, and that's the biggest thing. Like We have valuable things to say, but it's just the audience for it. Right. So if you're speaking in front of kids, teachers, parents, motion design people, new graduates, whatever it is, they're going to want to hear very different things. and you're trying your best not to just stand there and hear yourself speak, but to give real value to somebody. And that's the hard part. Now, for me, I, I took a, diff- a very different approach um, going into this motion conference because last year it was a torturous thing for me. I lost sleep over it. There weren't many nights where I wasn't having some kind of dream or nightmare about the talk itself. And I kept writing and rewriting and rewriting. So this time around, I thought, you know what? I don't want to memorize anything, I have slides. Visuals kind of prompts or cue points for me to talk about and the way I designed it was instead of having slides with lots of words or Trying to remember quotes facts and dates and proper nouns I just used the slides as a prompt as if a student were asking me the question And then I would use that prompt then to reply to it and I knew exactly then what I wanted to talk about So it was about designing the slides as a way to remind me where I need to be in the story And that's all so I did no rehearsing prior to arriving. That meant there was no rehearsal for me because I'm going to do it live when I'm going to do it. Wing it. The problem there is this, is that you don't know how long your talk's going to take. And so there's issues about time. Right. Okay? So there's issues about time that you're you're trying to be respectful of the audience and the host, in this case Elaine, and you're trying to hit your 18-minute mark. And so the way I would do this in the past is, I, I knew roughly where I need to be at the halfway point and the three-quarter way point, and so I can expand or contract stories to make it hit. And if I finish early, great. If, as long as I felt like I delivered the message, that was cool by me. So now let's let's go into, you did your talk, you were like three or four people ahead of me. Yeah. And I, I have to so. tell you, you did a great job, and all the idea of the nerves or you bombing during rehearsals was <laughs> You know, com- completely lost on me because you delivered your talk. You got a lot of engagement and you have a very specific way. It's kind of a deadpan, monotone way of delivering and it works well with your sense of humor. And I think it was well received by the audience. And you can tell because people were engaged and they were laughing when they're supposed to. I remember you coming onto stage and say, I know what you're all thinking. Well, who's this guy with the great hair? And it was self deprecating. Not really. <laughs> Not it was all. very self aware. Yeah, sure. And yeah, you do have great hair. You guys see that luscious hair? Oh, okay, come on. And so you have to acknowledge that. And I think that makes you human relatable. And it just shows that you're, you understand who you are in the world. Wherever I went, I would ask people, what's been a highlight for you so far? What did you really enjoy? And several people said, oh, I like that guy who talked about routine. I'm like, oh, that's Greg. And I know him. I'll make sure to pass that along. Oddly enough, fewer people came to you and told you that. They told me that, but not you.
1: Yeah, I, I heard most of that through you. Uh, there were a handful of people who came out to me afterwards, and uh, it, was, it was very flattering. And um, thank you again for having me, and I, I hope people enjoyed it. But it sounds like most of my compliments or just uh, notices that people even watched it and, and took something away from it came came through you, which is interesting. I don't know what that means.
0: I'm really approachable. Yeah, and I'm not. You're like Mr. Deadpan. (laughs) Too cool for school. Nobody wants to talk to you. No, No, not not at all. Yeah, I think that's just part of my experience of being a teacher and just looking at people. And if somebody gives me a look like they want to talk, I make time. I I try to have my body position in a way that invites them in versus kind of turning their shoulder or something. Right. I, I draw them in and say, hey, how's it going? How's the event for you? Is this your first event? What do you think? What are the high points? What do you think could be better? I ask all those questions because I want to really hear what the audience has to say. Now, you said this to me before we got on, which was this, is that you wish your regret was what? You wish what? I took time to
1: speak to more people. Before you spoke? Before. And why didn't you do people? that? Uh, I was in my head the entire time. So uh, the first day, just walking through and passing by people. Uh, I had Hannah there with me, who was kind of like my, my anchor, but for the most part, I was just reciting stuff in my head. And anytime I would think about, okay, am I going to go up next? Kind of not knowing when it was going to happen, I'd, I'd freak out just a little bit, you know, or run and have to go pee or something.
0: Yeah. You know? So you were kind of in your head. You're worried about if you're going to remember your bits and where the jokes were, the high points and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So you weren't making a lot of eye contact. And I do that, too. Ben Burns. We have a funny story because I was at the position conference and prior to speaking, I have a very specific ritual and I'll share that with you guys in a little bit. But I blew past another speaker and he asked me, hey, you guys want to you want to get breakfast? I'm like, no. And I just walked away because I needed <laughs> to find a room to sit there, rehearse and go through my thing and do all my exercises, the, the linguistic, verbal, oral kind of things that you have to do, the vocal exercises. And as well as doing a little, you know, power posing, making yourself big and mm. then just trying to Zen out. Mm-hmm. I was going through every trick I knew, fire heart exercises, everything I knew. And so for me out there, I was just talking to people because talking to people makes them more my friend versus a stranger I'm trying to say something to. So Ooh. that's a trick. That's a tip. I, I have something to say about Okay, that. hold on, hold on. Here's yes. question, okay, okay, okay. So I try to talk to as many people beforehand. I ask them what they're here for, because look, if they say we're here because we want to see you, or we, we're curious about what you have to say, then at least I know I have one person out of 150 that's there to see me. And the mental games, the whole imposter syndrome, the stuff that you go through, it starts to make a little more comfortable. And I like having conversations with people I know, and I want to share what I know with them. So when I get a sense that of who they are and what they're here for, it makes it a lot easier for me to talk to them. Now, there's some comments in here. Lance Mayfield's sharing a little pain here, how he talked about when he had a talk and it was eight minutes long. By the time he was done, there's four minutes. And four minutes left, it's because when you're nervous, you speak really fast. Right. And so that's definitely a thing you guys want to look out for, okay? Now, you want to say something. you got a story to share. Let's hear it.
1: It's a question for you. Oh, it's a question. Okay. So when you're up on stage and you look out into the audience, which is more scary to you? Having an audience full of people that you know, or
0: having an audience full of people that you don't
1: know, complete strangers?
0: I think they're the same level of scariness uh, for different reasons. If they're complete strangers, I don't feel like there's a real connection. I don't know what they're there for. But I also know that if I blow it, I don't really care and I don't know them. Right but if they're all friends, then the expectation is even higher, but yet I feel like they're my friends and they're there to support me, so I feel that energy and I'm more comfortable with them. So it's it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. But when I spoke at AIGA um, a, couple of back, uh, a couple of years back for Echo in LA, I was surprised a lot of my friends showed up, people I hadn't seen in quite some time. And it made me feel like warm inside in terms of, wow, you guys drove out here to come and hear me talk? And I was able to have conversations with them, and it was very familiar. And mm. what you want to do as a talk is not to lecture down at people. Right. You want to have a conversation. It's about having a conversation with people.
1: For the record, I, I feel the opposite. If it's a group full of people I know, that terrifies me because of the judgment. If it, yeah, if it's strangers, yeah. I can I can do it no problem. So
0: maybe your process of being in your head it worked out better for you. Perhaps. So we're we're quite opposite here. Yeah. We're. I I did very little memorization. That's not to say. I did not write down what I wanted to say beforehand, but my slides had zero notes. And this was the first time I had to do one of these kind of TED style talks with no notes. And Elaine can confirm that that was the case because she had asked me, no notes this time, huh? I said, nope, I really want to speak from the heart and I want to let that kind of guide me because the thing that I was talking about really had to to resonate emotionally.
1: We want to talk about post-talk?
0: Yeah, how did you feel after?
1: Aside from a huge sense of uh, relief and weight off my shoulders, um, I felt tired. I felt very tired. What
0: kind of extrovert are you?
1: <laughs> not a very good one apparently. Yeah. No, I, I, I felt tired but I was, I was very pleased um, with just doing it whether I did well or not and I like I said I, I didn't really know how it went other than I you did few, it. Uh, yeah, yeah I did it and you didn't I, stumble not too well not less than did. I am right now yeah um, things landed when they should in, in theory yeah but it was it was nice I, I felt accomplished I, I felt immediately okay how can I do that better next time right what, what do I I want to watch the you know the, the replay right what can I learn from that how do, how do I do that so that was my first thought afterwards I said okay I did it good job I think it worked now. How do you improve upon that?
0: Hmm. You went straight into how do I improve upon that? Yeah. What do you, what do you think you're going to feel when you watch the video of that if it's released? Embarrassed. Are you? Would you be looking forward to seeing it or kind of very apprehensive of watching that video? I'd like to see it. Yeah. I
1: mean, of course, I don't want to see it at all, but there's a lot to learn from that. Just like anything, if you're a dancer and you rehearse, you want to watch your performance and, and see, you know, where where your misstep was and how you did it better.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. So we're we're different but we're the same in a lot of ways. Hmm. Because here's my thing, it as I'm doing my talks, I'm starting to figure out how I could do it better as I'm doing it. Whoa. Yes. It's kind of weird. That's right? meta. Yeah. So I feel most comfortable when I have a longer period of time to talk. I'm used to teaching class for three hours long or five hours. And so it gives me a lot of time to learn about the pain points of people. And I've been doing this for 15 years. I've been teaching for over 15 years. So I'm used to reacting and not acting. You know what I'm saying? When we talk about actors, like reacting to what's going on. So one of the first things I usually do in class is to ask them, what is it that you want to learn? What are the things that you're trying to achieve in this class or at school or in life? And chances are, because, you know, I've been doing this for 21 years now. I've been working professional for over 21 years. I've seen lots of things. I've been working with my business coach for over 10 of those years. I've hired a teaching consultant. I've worked with a family therapist. I've I've studied. I read a lot. And I feel like within my life is some experience or answer And so I'm much more comfortable just being spontaneous saying, if you have a question, I think I can answer it if the question is clear. And I I prefer to work that way. It's the constraint of hitting 18 minutes and having a memorized talk. And so I strive to now never to do those kinds of talks again because it's not a format that I like. And I, I can then unleash the full power of my personality In terms of reacting, because when I hear a laugh or I hear a concern, I'm also used to looking into my class and seeing body language change or Mm -hmm. the micro expression. So if somebody's eyebrows furrow together, I know they're confused and they're not understanding what I'm saying. And then I can do an immediate follow up. So the idea of doing a memorized talk is that there's that fourth wall and you can't break the fourth wall. And I love to break the fourth wall. And you can see even when I'm in a kind of TED talk style thing, I ask the audience questions. They, they know customarily they're not supposed to respond, but they're responding in their mind, right? Yeah. But one thing that was asked of you is this. When you get stuck, like have you ever hit a roadblock in your brainstorming process? And, and I think that person threw a really heavy question at you. I remember that. Now, you know, a little bit more in a day later, do you have a, a considered response?
1: I'm trying to remember what I said in the moment. I, I think I probably opened the, the response with, I'm not sure I have a good response for you right now, but um, I think if I were to be asked that question again today, I'm asking you right now. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm yeah, asking you okay. literally right now. <laughs> if I hit a creative roadblock, um, I guess what I would do is ask myself, what's the goal here? What, what am I trying, trying to do? So I, I'm stuck for a reason, meaning uh, there's something in my way or I don't understand the parameters or it's, it's not clear what the goal is. So h- how am I supposed to know if uh, what I'm doing is headed the right direction or the opposite direction? Yeah. So I, I think it would be taking a step back and uh, making sure the objective is really clear and I understand the parameters of, of the assignment or the project or whatever it is. Um, so when I do test a theory, let's say, I can measure it against that and take a look and say, okay, will do these. Do these things line up? Is is this within the realm of uh, a solution? Let, let's say for for this this problem.
0: Okay, that's not the answer you gave, but not I, at I all. I guess you've had some time to think about it. That's what I should have said. Good. Well, I remember what you said. I was going to elaborate on it, but I didn't <laughs> want to step all over your talk as I was prone to do earlier in the day. I should have which was you. this? Yeah, if you want to throw it to me, I would have been happy to take it. You did say that sometimes when you're stuck on a project, and this may hit home with many of you guys, is to do something totally different. Your, your brain needs time to rest and process and to think about other ideas. Yes. And so if you're out there walking, washing dishes, or doing something that can happen on a more autonomic level, I think that's when you're free. And there's a great article, I can't remember where I read this, but it was online somewhere and it posed the question, why do all my best ideas come into me when I'm in the shower? Hmm because the shower requires a minimal level of physical or mental effort for you to be in, and it puts you in this kind of state of mind. And there's a term for it. I just don't remember the scientific term. But when you're in that space, you can solve problems. So if you think about it, when you first wake up in the morning, none of the garbage from the day before kind of resonates until you start thinking about it. So you are the smartest person you're ever going to be the moments right after you open your eyes. And most people begin their morning ritual that way. They're going to go brush your teeth and then jump in the shower. And so your brain has had time to think and process your subconscious, which is much smarter than your conscious brain. And all of a sudden, the ideas begin to percolate as the water hits your head, as you're going through the motions. The same thing happens when you're driving. You enter into some kind of self-hypnosis state and you go into cruise control and then your brain can think. That's why a lot of the good ideas happen to you when you're in the shower or when you're driving. Yeah. So that's one way and that's not a foolproof way by any chance and I tell my students the same thing and then they say, well, it didn't work for me. If I were given that question, like what do you do when you get stuck? Well, I'm gonna tell you guys and this is gonna sound strange but I don't think I've ever been stuck and I'll tell you why. My process is very clear and it works really well for me. I'm gonna share that with you and I hope that works out for you as well. The first thing that I need to do is to immerse myself deeply within the problem of the project. I need to understand as much as I can. So if it's all about baseball, I want to watch baseball films. I want to read about it. I'm going to hire consultants to teach me whatever it is I need to do in the fastest amount of time. And then I feel like at some point, my brain hits some kind of saturation point. And when it hits that saturation point, I just let it rest. And more often than not, almost like 90% of the time, by the time I wake up in the morning and drive to work, the, the problem is already resolved. I have a notebook by my bedside. And I write ideas down. And you, you told a funny story about that. And that totally happens. Except for my story wasn't like frog's explosion. Yeah, it's probably much more meaningful. A little bit. So that's what I do. And just to clarify what you said, most creative types don't have a clear idea as to what the solution looks like. And I can't remember who said this or who wrote this. But they said that you don't have to tell me where the target is, the bullseye. You just need to tell me what wall it's on. And so I think as designers, we kind of thrust into the creative process and we start making because we feel like things will get done without really, truly understanding what the parameters of the project are, what the goal is even, and we start making. And then we get lost in that. So we redefine what the goal is to suit what we made. And oftentimes we're hit with a lot of resistance. And to put a bow on this, as an exercise in my class, I asked my students, can you guys go out and get me a leaf? And come back and they all got out of their chairs really excited and they were moving towards the door and said, does anybody here know what kind of leaf I want? Yet they were so quick to get out of the chair and go outside and find a leaf. And what was your confidence level in trying to find that leaf? They're all very high. So what if it was a Canadian maple leaf that you can only get in Canada? How how are you going to be able to find that? So I said, come on, come back down. Ask me questions about what kind of leaf I want. And I had one very specific in my mind. So I think that's the problem with creativity. And sometimes, and you you touched on this during your talk, the creative process can sometimes be very self-serving. It's defined by you, made by you, judged by you. And so when you put it in front of a client and they make changes, you feel really disappointed. And it's a lot of times it's because we forget we're making it for somebody. Right. Okay, I don't want to veer too far off because I really want to focus on our thoughts and impressions on being at the Motion Conference in Santa Fe. What other... What are the high points for you? What stuck out? What made it worthwhile for you?
1: Two things. Okay. Uh, Beyond my own satisfaction of overcoming a fear of public speaking, Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoyed the open panel discussion between you, Alberta, and Karen. I thought it was very entertaining. It was unexpected. And I'm not saying this because Chris paid me to, I, I promise. It was it was just a lot of fun. It was it was a little wild. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, and I like that. Was wild,
0: unpredictable.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that was nice. So th- that would be part one. Okay. Part two um, was the end party at Meow Wolf. And uh, tell
0: some people about what Meow Wolf is. I never heard of Meow Wolf before. Meow from a cat and wolf from a dog, right? Yeah. Cat it, dog.
1: How do you how do you put that place into words? Try to it's, do it. It's it's a very a very large building, two stories, that is it comes off like a, a series of art installations that are all connected together seamlessly, but do not belong together at all. And you can crawl through it, you can sit on it, you can climb it, um, you can um, touch it, you can do whatever you want. It's it's very kind of open world in, inside of this thing, and it's. It's fascinating, and uh, uh, Timmy Fisher from MK12 actually gave me a, a weird tour at the end of the night with a story that he found in there. And he's like, "Oh, come check out this room. This laser connects to this over here that makes music." And um, at opposite ends of the building, it's it's really a, a sight to see.
0: I think George R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones fame is behind it. I oh, don't really? know if he owns it or, but he is behind it. And, and Elaine was telling me a little bit about that. And to give you guys a little bit more concrete definition, I think the best way to describe it is it's an indoor theme park that is a collection of surreal vignettes. And it's like you're walking into a haunted house, but there's nobody there to scare you. And when you first think that these things, these rooms are, are not connected, there's actually a storyline if you spend enough time and read through the parts, there's a whole narrative thread connecting all the rooms together. And the trippy parts are, you open the refrigerator door, because you don't know what's interactive and what's not. You open the refrigerator door, and it's a portal to another room. Literally, you crawl into the refrigerator, into an all-white space, and you walk, and it dumps you off into another room. Or if you open a closet door, behind the clothes and to the left is a passageway to somewhere else. And where you start and where you end is not even connected. So it's super trippy, maze-like experience with all kinds of lowbrow and highbrow art mm-hmm. and yeah. it's wonderful with music interactive parts it's really really cool and not just i mean that sets the stage for a really cool experience but what was really cool for me at male Wolf was now everybody had spoken so we all got to know each other a little bit better mm-hmm. and it was the place where attendees and speakers could just mingle and meet and talk and network in some cases because some people were looking for work i know you talked to some people that were looking for architectural rendering work Mm -hmm. and there's some people who just graduated needed some advice so i crawled into a little tree house on the second floor and had the craziest conversation before you guys found us again yeah and that was really cool and there was live music dj singing cake cutting beer drinking all kinds of things it only sucked if you were not 21 because you couldn't get in. But right. I felt it was awesome because I believe Elaine had booked the event just for us. And it, that means that only motion people were there. There weren't any other kind of randos there. Mm-hmm. So it was very exclusive. And I thought that was amazing.
1: Well, What was your favorite part
0: of well, Now Wolf? Oh, You mean in terms of any particular room? Yes. I thought a lot of it was amazing, and I probably would have enjoyed it more if I wasn't as tired and wearing my suit. (laughs) Yeah. So I was a little conscientious about crawling through the the fireplace to come out the other side. And a lot of it was really cool. I was just so tired. But I have to say this. As a speaker, the coolest thing for me is actually to spend time completely detached from work in this really sleepy town with amazing food and art galleries and to come and just be in the high desert and sit down and have these really wonderful conversations at dinner and at lunch that you wouldn't normally have and it's just because you're not thinking about work anymore you're just here you're enjoying the company of the people that are speaking and they're really smart did you enjoy the dinner thing i mean because we knew each other you probably felt like a little bit like an outsider right
1: which which one which part the dinner uh the bigger dinner
0: the dinner at the fancy restaurant oh
1: yeah that, that was really interesting i i certainly felt like a fly on the wall there um i i was there with uh, chris and a handful of other people who i think had all done this before and uh, had dinner so there was this uh, nostalgia dinner that was taking place and i was kind of sitting off to the side just listening and beware with chris he likes to record all conversations for posterity amongst other things um so that the, there was a there was a really really great discussion happening, and I was just intently listening. And then uh, cut to a, a microphone in my face uh, with someone posing the question. Well, what do you think, Greg? And <laughs> I, Cecilia I,
0: did that to you. Yeah, I, think, I would never do that to you.
1: <laughs> so I just kind of went and yeah. uh, gave my answer. But yeah, that that was a lot of fun. That kind of one of those things you don't even think about and, and plan to happen, but it does, and you're there. And uh, that that was really really cool.
0: Yeah. That happened Friday night before we spoke, so we spoke on Saturday and Friday night. There was just a small group of us. We went to dinner, and we had—I don't remember the name of the restaurant. Otherwise, I'd tell you. And it was kind of a staging or precursor to the panel discussion that happened the next day. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. Because between Cecilia, myself, and Cecilia's friends, and her husband, awesome guy. And Alberto, it got really heated and we were talking about all sorts of things and the mic was being passed around from person to person. You know me, I'm gonna bring all my recording equipment and that if it's okay to air, I'll check with all the participants, sure. might make it to this very podcast. And there were some really amazing discussions. So we were kind of doing our homework for the next day. Mm. So when you saw us uh, during the panel discussion, we were already kind of primed to have this kind of conversation. And so I have to give, uh, tip my hat off to Elaine in that she allowed for some of this to happen because we were supposed to stick to a very particular format. We did that quickly, and then she opened it up, and she lobbed up a giant grenade. And the grenade, I think, is something that everybody in the room wanted to know, which was, what's the future of our industry look like? And that was a powder keg, and it exploded. And my energy level, all those kinds of things, it really got me heated I do have a little regret in perhaps how I handled myself. And I've been replaying the conversation. I'm a little scared to see the videotape of that because it went bananas, it went bananas and the crowd went bananas. And I I feed off that kind of energy. I love that, but it does get the better of me sometimes because my adrenaline is just like going through the roof at that point. And which was a stark contrast to my own talk, which was like very low key and trying my best to do a heartfelt conversation.
1: I think what was interesting is after that panel discussion, everyone had this expectation of, uh, I think perhaps how your talk was going to go. So when you came into that talk, uh, almost very, very kind of like this and, and ready to discuss things. It, it, it threw me off. Um, but once you got going and, uh, got into the stories that you were telling, I think it just made it feel that much more sincere and, uh, I think it worked really, really well for your talk, and I, I really enjoyed it. Even after knowing you for 10, 12 years, I was very surprised by, by the talk, in, in a good way.
0: Which one? The the panel or the, the talk talk? The talk talk. Oh, my talk was on... Okay, so just to give you guys context for the people that obviously weren't there, I was also given the subject matter or the prompt of talking about my passion project, which is the creation of the school and that's with Jose, obviously, and the videos that we make and the things that we're trying to do now to impact people's lives, to share what it is that we know in transparent and direct and honest ways. And so I didn't want to just go on there and promote the school. That just seems stupid to me. So I, too, had to sit there and think, what the heck am I talking about? And I like to take a very contrarian point of view. You know that about me. Mm. If everybody's going to go zig, I'm going to go zag. And so everybody, I presumed, was going to stay close to the brief and talk about how to maintain passion, what their passion projects are. And there were some really great talks about that. My whole thing is like, screw passion. What are we doing here? We're talking about kind of a design masturbation here. That we have work. And then time after work, we work on things to get us more work. Right. What is wrong with that formula? i just reminded of the the human centipede on South Park, oh. just jerking each other off in a continuous circle, right? And there's nothing wrong with talking about that. So that's where my mind was. So I was mm-hmm. thinking, man, having worked for so long and looking back at over two decades of work, I realized something that if you just go on pure passion alone and you don't understand a little bit about business or maybe your higher calling, your purpose, if you will, that you're going to run out of steam. And it happens. And I see it happen to so many young people. The joke going around is your career is going to last about seven years after you get out of school. And it's a very predictable arc. One is I'm the most amazing person. I'm going to create um, amazing pieces of work. I'm going to set the world on fire. I'm going to change everything to nothing changes. Why did the clients change everything? And I can't win new work. And it's a drag. And I, I don't enjoy this anymore. And now what do I do? I invent more work for me to do so I can find the fun back in the work. So the message that I was trying to put out there is passion is great. You need passion, but you need to find your purpose. And and purpose is, I just said it was like two things, right? Purpose is about advancing the human condition. What can you do for other people? And the other thing, which is a lifelong journey, which is to learn more about yourself, to become more self-aware and to discover who it is you are and what you're meant to do. And that was it. So that was my take on it. And then I tried to find stories about People who have taught me things and things that I've been involved with that have made a difference in somebody else's life. And so I'm, I'm at least 10 years older than you. I won't tell the internet how old I am, but I've got 10 plus years on you. And I just want to do this, guys. Before you lay me into the ground six feet under, I want to make a difference on this planet. And I don't mean just like benefiting my immediate family because that's also, I think, a noble thing, but also simultaneously a very selfish thing is to to create wealth and to take care of only your own. We don't move society forward that way. And that's why I'm out here recording this Facebook Live, doing this podcast with you and making YouTube content, even though I'm running on fumes right now. I have a hard time sleeping in strange places, especially if it's not set exactly the way I want. So I was probably running on about four hours of sleep in two days. That was really rough. But I have a very different ritual than you. What did you do um, behind... Uh, backstage in the green room, what were you doing? And then I'll tell you mine, and we'll wrap this up. Okay. I think I had maybe two minutes back there. I oh, because you were called in, like, hey, it's your turn, time to hey, talk. Get up there. So you probably had your a little yeah adrenaline I mean, going. I,
1: definitely. Yeah. yeah. I I think uh, I think I stretched. I probably like you know loosening up your joints. Yeah, just a current. little bit. Um, did a power pose, maybe the Wonder of. Woman power pose. Yeah, that's what he's doing right now. Yeah, that that helped. And then and then I was out there. Okay. No
0: vocal exercises? No. I, I would you, like to do, you do that about next those? time. No. I, I got to teach about those that. later. Yeah. Okay. Just to loosen up your mouth and your tongue. I'd like so to So you that. can articulate. All right. So here I am. It's like 2.30 and I was told to come back at 4 o'clock and be ready because I didn't want to be late because the last thing I want to do is show up at 4 and be on at 4.02. I have a very specific routine I have to go through and people who see me do this think I'm a freakazoid and maybe I am and that's totally okay. So I come back at 4, not enough time to rest, and not enough time to torture myself over my own talk. And I sit in the back, and then I'm told, you know, you're going to come on in an hour. I say, that's fine. And so I think, okay, I have a lozenge. I'm hydrating myself, and I have to do that in the rock ra- because I get, my throat gets really dry. Mm-hmm. I get, like, dry mouth, you know, when I'm, and I, I, I start to burp a lot because I think I'm swallowing in a funny way. So all that tension, I probably have an acid reflux. Who knows what's going on in my body, right? And then I drop my lozenge because I need my lozenge to kind of soothe my throat about 30 minutes out. Then that way it's in its prime condition ready to go. And then I get iced. And instead of speaking at 4, it's not 5, and then 5.30, and then 5.45 I'm talking. So in that time, I feel like I'm a fighter. I need to warm up, get a good sweat going, and then I'm ready to go and peak at the right moment. So I feel like it is one of those moments where... I had mentally and physically prepared to go on at four-ish. And when it dragged out to 5.30, I was just done. Because normally I would go out and get a Red Bull or drink some tea and and not do the exercises that I do right before going on. And I do all the vocal exercises that you're supposed to do. I did some power posing. I did the fire heart exercise. I also did the Zen Buddhist thing, which is to imagine yourself just trying to help people, to make it less about you and your ego and just to Mm -hmm. help people. And then I was debating, should I or shouldn't I stick to the rough script outline that I've created, or should I just go totally off the rails? So this is all happening an hour and a half before. And so by the time I got out, I was just thinking, please, just be coherent. That's all I wanted to do. And so that's why you saw my energy level going way, way, way down. That's it. So you guys, what I'll do is I will provide you links within the Facebook Live and in the podcast later on in terms of the TED Talks that talk about power posing which is by amy cuddy and i forget the guy who talked about the vocal exercises and the way you speak has um impact on how people perceive you right and i just want to point out one last thing you started telling everybody that i was the um so like cop so everybody kept coming up and remarking on that (laughs) and that i became known as the guy who's sitting there thinking about um like so That made me even more self-conscious, so thank you very much. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We are going to bounce. I think this is going to be a really worthwhile podcast to listen to in the archives. The future is made possible by some of our lovely sponsors and partners, one of which is Pond5.com. If you guys need to get some stock footage, After Effects presets, Pond5 is the place to go. And the future is also made possible by... Matthew Encina, Greg Gunn, Scott Rotstein, Nicole Wasserman, and the entire blind staff, which I would not be able to do fun stuff like this and spend the day with you without their support because they run the business for me. The man behind the scene, the man with the plan, Aaron Zakelli. He's responsible for recording this, engineering, and doing the sound design, the editing. He pretty much makes this podcast possible. You can find him online as well. And of course I have to thank Adam Sanborn, the person who composed and wrote the piece of music that you're listening to. You can find him at adamsanborn.com